All right, greetings. Welcome to episode 43 of the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. Going to do something a little bit different this week. I'm actually changing up the format of the podcast a bit. Um, basically, the sections are going to be news, ideas, treasure, and inspiration. So I'm collapsing some of the categories just to, well, quite simply to have fewer of them. I ended up with like 15 different categories and it was getting a little bit insane. So I collapsed those down. Uh, the other big thing is I've redone the newsletter, which is available on the website. Uh, really encourage you to go check it out. Basically the content of the podcast or like the show notes, uh, which is on the site, is uh, now going to be in a much cleaner sort of look and feel. And it's going to be in those same news, ideas, treasure, and inspiration uh, categories. But the newsletter will also go out every week and will have that same content in it. Uh, there'll be a bit more in the podcast just because it's, you know, audio and you could say a little bit more. But um, basically, instead of having like 15 categories and like tons of links and then like a, a show notes link section at the bottom, it's basically super crisp story titles or descriptions with a link afterwards um, with just link text. And then it's hyperlinked to what talks about that story. So, <clears throat> so just a lot more clean, I think. And uh, the newsletter and the podcast will basically um, be mirrors or, or brothers to each other uh, in this case. So it, it's going to be a lot more clean going back and forth. Um, and hopefully people will enjoy the, the newsletter uh, quite a bit more. I already have a good number of subscribers to it, but uh, I think this should help quite a bit. So um, that's it for that, uh, just logistics type stuff. And let's get into the news. So Internet Disinformation Service for Hire. So uh, Bruce Schneier had an article out talking about this internet service where basically um, they would go on all types of social media and really confuse the water, right? So they would, they would make it so that someone who was Googling about whatever topic it was would be quite confused about what the truth was. And this was being sold as a professional service. And uh, he was just commenting on how the portfolio of services that are available in this sort of way is, uh, is quite interesting and a little bit frightening. Rob Fuller, uh, also known as Mubix, a uh, buddy of mine, has found a way to pull credentials from a locked machine using a USB dongle and responder. So basically, the machine could be completely locked, like you don't have physical access to it, or you don't have keyboard access to it. And you go and you basically swap this, this um, cable on the, the Ethernet link. And uh, within a few seconds, he said around 13 seconds or so, you actually capture the credentials coming from the box and it gets um, captured onto this special USB dongle, which you can then go and crack those credentials. Super, super cool research. Um, and I hope he does a talk about it um, 
in one of the conferences coming up. I imagine he will. Very cool stuff. Yelp just started a new bug bounty with HackerOne and uh, vulnerabilities are going for up to 15K. So 15 grand for bugs. Seems like a pretty legit um, bounty. Foreign hackers supposedly accessed two state election databases, according to the FBI. Uh, new attacks have been discovered on the SWIFT banking system. So they, they got hacked pretty bad uh, a few months back. And uh, a couple of new announcements have been made by SWIFT. Uh, they didn't really give them any details, but they said that money was lost and there, there were some issues. Interesting, I'm getting a lot of queries from various people trying to ask if uh, blockchain could be actually a solution for SWIFT. So basically, instead of having this proprietary system that does these transaction you know, justifications or, or um, synchronizations, to have the blockchain do it instead. Uh, pretty interesting uh, technology to look at is uh, the blockchain and how it's going to affect, potentially affect financial services. Actually, a bunch of banks are kind of buying into it for that reason. There's uh, one because they're worried about disruption, also just trying to improve their own services. So eight brands of home routers were compromised and used to build a botnet that uh, launched HTTP-based DOS attacks, DDoS attacks against websites. Um, not sure exactly what the vulnerability was, but um, you can imagine what they are. I mean, it's uh, very likely to be just the common stuff that everyone's vulnerable to. Um, Hard-coded passwords, like really crappy AppSec, that kind of stuff. FTC releases guidelines for smartphone safety with rental cars. This is pretty cool. They basically said, try to charge your phone. If you're using a rental car, try to charge your phone using the um, cigarette lighter instead of a data connection. And if you do have to sync, then be sure to pull your data off. Uh, basically, due diligence on not uploading your data to the car and having it be shared out to everyone. It's really interesting whenever I use a loaner uh, car at my dealership, I um, it, it's funny to go in there and you just see like 20 different phones have been connected and uh, a lot of their data is still there. It's a big mess. So FTC actually coming out and saying, hey, don't do that. Um, be sure to clean up after yourself if you do. CrowdStrike reports that Russia's Cozy Bear, or APT29, launched cyber attacks against some of their think tank customers. So CrowdStrike has a bunch of think tank customers, and uh, they noticed a bunch of attacks from Russian uh, hackers, which they believe to be the Cozy Bear or APT29 group, who were um, attacking them because those particular think tanks were doing research on Russia. And Russia wanted to know what they knew about them, evidently, and were doing spearfish uh, attacks, which is pretty interesting. And CrowdStrike said they stopped them, um, to some degree at least. The Brazers porn site was compromised. Nearly 1 million accounts leaked. If you have an account there, 
one, you're a very naughty person. Two, you should change your password. Federal government warming to the idea of using more hackery tactics to train and attract cybersecurity personnel. So this is like, they're, they're warming up to like using CTFs and we're talking about using uh, people who've actually used cannabis in the past. Uh, marijuana, they're saying maybe we should relax our standards a little bit. Um, if we want to actually have people with talent, you know, we're probably not going to be able to keep this bar where it is. And they also, you want to use tactics like CTFs uh, to attract better people. So I'm glad they're at least acknowledging that they have a problem and uh, making some sort of changes. It's going to be pretty hard based on pay scale, based on the type of work, based on the amount of authority that exists there. I mean, they're going to have to change quite a bit to make it attractive for actual hackers, but um, at least they know they have a problem. That is progress. Google Analytics now providing automated analysis and recommendations. So uh, if you're using Google Analytics, um, there's actually a tab now inside of the iOS and Android apps where you can click on it and it'll tell you, hey, I noticed this about your traffic. You should go and change this. Or I noticed this, so you should go and change that. Uh, so pretty cool. Pretty cool that it's doing automatic analysis, kind of what a uh, like a SEO type expert would recommend. Um, I don't know if they're using the AI for that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were. Google will start punishing site rankings for showing annoying ad pop-ups. So those really nasty ones where you're just like, you click on the link and you're getting ready to start reading and this giant like thing pops up and covers the whole thing. And they hide the little X so you can't even find that thing. Or it's got a timeout where you have to look at whatever dumb thing they're showing you before you can close it. Super annoying stuff. And uh, Google's starting to, uh, I don't know if they're starting already or if they're getting ready to, but they're going to be punishing sites that do that, which is super cool. Also a little bit of irony in the fact that Google is an ad company. Um, but yeah, very, very cool that they're going to be doing that. Apple is going to be partnering with Sony to bring Apple Pay to Japan. So basically Japan, when you're in the subway, uh, you basically run by and you've got this device and you just sort of move it close to the thing and it pays uh, on your behalf. It's touchless. It's um, very cool stuff. And Apple's going to be partnering with uh, Sony to bring that technology to iPhones and to Japan. Um, really wish we could have something like that here, especially like for BART, where I'm at. Um, I don't use it much, but it seems very antiquated compared to uh, when I was in Japan. Solar City looks to replace the roofs of 5 million homes with solar cells. So this is pretty cool. Uh, this is the Musk, uh, Elon Musk um, project, um, I believe, or maybe he's just a board member, but I, I think this is kind of one of his things. Um, Five million homes with solar cells. Very, very cool stuff. I'm also excited, as I talked about last week, about the home battery, um, which I imagine will probably work with this. So you're getting 
energy from your roof and it's going into a battery in your home. And then you're, uh, you have an algorithm that lets you use the energy most efficiently during the day based on when it, how much it costs to get it from the grid uh, versus use your own stored energy. So very, very cool stuff. Uh, I wish I had a house just so I could do this, but um, I don't. I have an apartment, so I can't. A company called Elisa just hit 1.9 gigabits on a 4G network. Um, and I believe that was out of like Finland or somewhere in Scandinavia. There's like 11 people there. So that's why this works. But Finland and Germany are launching one gigabit 4G networks. Finland is doing this in like two years and Germany in one year. So that's one gigabit on a 4G network. And they're talking about like 10x maybe even more than that, maybe, I can't remember, maybe even like 50X, um, I think it's like 10X, but 10X of a gigabit, that would be fantastic. Um, this kind of goes to the whole point of wired is going to be very, very dumb uh, pretty soon. Like not many people are going, going to do wired. The only good wired is going to be fiber. Um, or whatever comes after fiber, probably another type of fiber, but doing, uh, you know, cat six or cat five or regular lands, is just not going to make sense in any sort of way within, you know, five or 10 years because the wireless is going to be so fast um, and so robust and just, just great. Um, and it keeps getting better. It's going to get better a lot faster than it will take for you to redo your house with fiber. Um, of course, you have security issues with that. Um, so some people still will use wire, wired uh, options, governments and corporations, stuff like that. But fascinating that it's basically going to take over. And I can't wait. Uh, Europe announces that all scientific papers should be free by 2020. That is so good to hear. I cannot stand when I hear about a scientific paper. I click on it and it's got a paywall. Just infuriating. Um, absolutely infuriating. Uh, so hopefully this is not just for Europe. Hopefully it's kind of an international push. And Majel Barrett's voice. This is the voice of Star Trek. Um, all the way back to the original Star Trek Um also in Next Generation, most specifically, or I guess predominantly it was in Next Generation. Uh, but it was actually in all those Star Treks, including the ones that came after. Uh, and this was Gene Roddenberry's wife. So it's Majel Barrett Roddenberry. She actually died in 2008, but she had given her voice, uh, recorded it phonetically. So, I, so evidently they can make anything from her voice. And they did that on purpose. And evidently, it's, she might be coming to Siri soon. I will absolutely change my Siri voice to be Major Barrett. That would be amazing. All right. Next section, ideas. So this is a deeper analysis on a few topics. Uh, gaming as microservices. This was... Uh, and again, I have links for all of these, including the ones I just talked about. There's a link here for gaming as microservices. Uh, this was a post I put up last night. 
And I was talking with my buddy Andrew, who is uh, at a gaming startup uh, right now called Opera Event, which is basically a startup uh, oriented around um, connecting influencers with their audience. Um, really interesting uh, thing. You could check it out at Opera Event. I believe it's .io, um, but I'm not 100% sure, but you can just Google it. But um, anyway, he's at that gaming startup and we were talking about games and I was talking to him about the A16Z podcast and specifically about the microservices episode. Um, And I started thinking about what does it look like to, what does the future of gaming look like in, you know, 15 years, 20 years or whatever. And I started trying to sort of decompose what the components were for gaming and kind of broke it into like um, graphics, uh, the gaming engine, story, um, and then having knobs for configuration for the various types of gaming that people like, right? So how much romance, how much sex, how much violence, how much, um, you know, is it epic? Is it gritty? Is it heroic? Like all these different tuning options that you have if you were a, a, a game master, that you would be doing this automatically for the people playing, right? So the whole concept of microservices, of course, is that you know you have a monolithic app, which is, a, in this analogy, the, the monolithic game that we have today. It will be broken into all these various pieces. So you would have separate companies competing to be the graphics people. And they didn't make the engine, right? The engine will be made by several different engine companies and you actually pick which one you want to use. Um, Story comes from crowdsourcing, from AI, from auto-generated content, uh, but you have an API that you get the story from. Um, And all these pieces come together to build the game that you want. So when a couple of people get together and they're like, yeah, we're going to go and game. Of course, it's all VR rigs at this point. So it's virtual reality. But they're like, yeah, let's play a fantasy game. And I want, you know, you know, sex to be like this. And I want the girls to look like this and the guys to look like this. And I want it to be like Conan. And I want it to be very dangerous. And I want lots of blood. Or, and someone else might be like, yeah, I don't want very much blood or whatever. Um, but one example that Andrew had is let's say you're super into cars, but I'm not. Well, when you see a car, you could tune everything about the cars that you're using, right? And the company that's providing this content provides that tuning and it's very realistic and the cars sound a certain way. This actually comes from a a blog post that I did probably 10, 12 years ago. I, I can't remember when it was, but it was the idea that when you're inside of a game, when you pivot from walking on a street to getting in a street fight to pulling a gun on somebody, you're actually pivoting between types of games. So you go from being in a fighting game like UFC to being in a shooting game like whatever, Grand Theft Auto, if that's a shooting game. Um, So it would be more like a a World War II game or a... a, um, or like a Rainbow Six game or something where you're, you're holding a pistol and you're shooting or whatever. But 
the expertise for that particular thing, like holding a gun or fighting or running or playing a sport or whatever, you would be in the best game engine for that particular activity at the time. So this was sort of a play on that to say that all those various pieces will be broken up and provided by a specific company that excels at doing that. So what you would have is you would have a, a base concept for a game and then you would describe, or maybe your digital assistant would describe, whoever, you're transferring your, your recommendations to the gaming system. And the gaming system says, okay, well, I'm going to go and select all these 15 different components from these 25,000 different gaming companies. And I'm going to hand build you, custom build you, the perfect gaming experience based on all your preferences, right? And that's going to be the engine. That's going to be the graphics. It's going to be the story. It's going to be all that stuff. So that's the idea, gaming as microservices. Uh, any Anyone who is a gamer or whatever, feel free to hit me up and tell me why this is dumb or whatever. All right, next one. When to use vulnerability assessments, pen tests, bug bounties, and red teams. This one I just got finished writing a couple hours ago. And uh, this is coming out of a bunch of conversations I've been having. I've seen a bunch of debate online on Twitter and other social media and uh, especially talking with my buddy Jason um, about like this, a lot of animosity between people talking about vulnerability assessments, people talking about pen tests, pen tests versus bug bounties. Um, people thinking red teams are basically better pen tests. So it's like confusion, but then there's also drama because somebody works at a pen test company and somebody works at a bug bounty company Someone does vulnerability assessments for a living. Um, someone does red teams. And then you got all these sales people in the middle. And then you got the customer who's asking for one thing. The salesperson misunderstands because they're not testers. They tell them something else. So the terms are just like being massively misused for one. And then two, there's the religious drama around, oh, I do this. Therefore, it's the best thing. So what I wanted to do is basically write a post that breaks down what these are, what, what these different types of assessment actually do. Um, and one other thing I had in there, which I don't have in this link, is a trusted advisor, right? So a trusted advisor is basically kind of an overseer of all these different types of assessment. It's basically the person you go to to figure out which one of the of these are you supposed to be using at what time based on what kind of company you have and what type of security maturity you have, right? So what I basically laid out, uh, which you should definitely read it because it's going to be better laid out than I'm going to say on the fly here. But the idea is at very low maturity, you should start with vulnerability assessments, right? Vulnerability assessments are for the purpose of finding as many problems as possible and then prioritizing them for remediation, right? Um, people always want to do pen tests at this stage. They're like, oh, yeah, pen tests. And I'm like, well, you mean a vulnerability assessment? They're like, no, 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 we want a good one. So we're going to do a pen test. A pen
test is not a good vulnerability assessment. And a vulnerability assessment is a bad pen test. That's not the way this works. Vulnerability assessment, its goal is to find everything that's wrong. A pen test goal is not to find everything that's wrong. A pen test goal is to find out if you can achieve very specific goals. So a pen test is like drive the car off the lot, take the nuclear sub out into the bay, get domain administrator, pull all the data off the internal database, pivot from the outside web assets into the internal network. Um, you know, erase a laptop in the CEO's office, like whatever. Whatever the goal is, the idea is to see if you can achieve that goal. Um, and that's what a pen test is, right? Then you got a bug bounty. People are confusing bug bounties and pen tests. Um, bug bounties augment vulnerability assessments, not necessarily pen tests. Bug bounties, you don't tell the crowd, right? to see if you can do this or see if you can do that. They get paid by vulnerabilities. It is a method of doing a vulnerability assessment. It is a method of discovering vulnerabilities as part of a vulnerability assessment. Um, and it's not necessarily associated with um, prioritization for remediation, right? A lot of times that's done by a separate group, either the internal group or the bug bounty company, but the crowd itself is just doing discovery, right? Which is part of vulnerability assessment. Uh, then you got red teams and people were like, oh yeah, well, if you want a really good pen test, then you should get a red team assessment. The hell does that mean? Doesn't mean anything. Like again, they are not the same thing. A pen test, you have a very specific goal and you're trying to achieve that goal and, and you're testing your advanced, okay, this is the other difference between vulnerability assessment and pen test. Vulnerability assessment, you're making a list of reasons why you're a soup sandwich, okay, when you're low to medium maturity. A pen test goes against what you think is a high maturity security model, right? You think you're at high maturity Therefore, you're doing a pen test to see if it works, right? Bug bounty um, should also be done, I think, in a later maturity. Uh, otherwise, you should just be doing vulnerability assessments with uh, trusted people, right? Because if you know everything's broken, why are you exposing that to 50 different people in Ukraine, <clears throat> right? Not necessarily the best use of money. They're also quite a bit more expensive than a vulnerability assessment, which you can get very cheap, either automated or manual. It's far cheaper than doing a bug bounty and doesn't have the same exposure of risk. Um, so that's bug bounty versus vulnerability assessment. But bug bounty versus pen test, again, the bug bounty is finding vulnerabilities, whereas pen test is testing to see if you can achieve a goal and then red team is a continuous um, campaign. This is a team that you hire for years, right? This is not an engagement like a pen test. A pen test might be a week long, might be a month long. 
usually it's one to two weeks long because it's actually just a vulnerability assessment and people are using the term wrong. But we've been through that. The, the point is the red team is to emulate an attacker. Actually, all of the company's attackers at different times to be as good as the the real world attackers against that company and to continuously run these campaigns, right? You've, you've got to be separate from the org so that you're not restricted by a whole bunch of false controls. But um, this is a separate team and they work 24-7. And nobody on the inside, most importantly the blue team, knows exactly what they're doing or exactly when they're going to do it. Now, going back to goals, again, goal of a vulnerability assessment, find as many problems as possible and prioritize them for remediation. Goal of a pen test, achieve a specific goal, like taking the sub out into the bay. Goal of a bug bounty, find as many issues as possible using the crowd. Goal of a red team, not the same as a pen test, not the same as a vulnerability assessment. The goal of a red team is to improve the blue team, right? So they are an independent org whose purpose is to raise the effectiveness of the organization. This is what a generic red team is. And in a corporate red team, that means improving the blue team. So these things are not the same. They're kind of related in the sense that, yeah, they're all kind of security, but man, what salespeople do and even what a lot of internal security groups do, and even a lot of consultants, they just mangle these things. They just massacre these definitions. And they're just like, yeah, if you need a vulnerability assessment, you need to get a pen test and make sure it's like a bug bounty and a red team. And people will just be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Those are all definitely terms that I've heard before and they sound cool. And salespeople will just go for the coolest sounding one. They're just like, oh yeah, we're doing all red teams now. You need to do a red team scan, you know, using Nessus and then do a bug bounty scan. I mean, it's just dumb. It's just super dumb. Um, so the bottom line for this post, which I do hope you check out, is is basically what maturity level do you use, or do you what what assessment do you use for each maturity level, right? And the idea, uh, which again I mentioned at the beginning and the end of, of the post, is that you have a trusted advisor who is either internal or external in the company. And they're the ones helping you decide these things. They're the ones telling you, yeah, this is when you do a vulnerability assessment. Once you do a bunch of them, then you can move into pen testing and maybe bug bounties for certain things. Um, and then at some point, uh, maybe after you've done some pen tests or maybe when you start doing pen testing, you can move into um, doing red teaming as well. You know, if, if that's part of you know, a good idea for your company, right? If you have the right size, you have the budget or whatever. Um, but those are all things you have to have a, a trusted advisor helping you decide on. Um, if you just willy nilly call up some security vendor and you're just like, yeah, what do you got? They're just going to be like, oh yeah, you need red teams. You need 
red bounty bug teams, like it's going to be dumb. So don't do that. And uh, I encourage you to take a look at the post. All right, next one from apps to APIs. This is a, uh, another post I did. This was, I don't, I don't know when, last week or something. And uh, the idea here I'm getting ready to do a talk on is around the concept of instead of using mobile applications, um, as we start transitioning to digital assistants and having AI, pseudo AI, um, help us with things, the voice is going to be the most natural interface to using our personal devices. Um, we got all sorts of problems right now with doing that because of, you know, microphones are, are crap and Siri can't understand what we're saying half the time. Uh, can't differentiate our voice versus background noise, all sorts of drama. But as the AI gets better, as the microphones get better, speakers, all that kind of stuff, um, we're not going to want to be opening our phones, clicking around, using apps, using our thumbs and fingers, and clicking around in interfaces that are different for each app. They respond in different ways. It's, it's just going to be very dumb compared to what's natural and what we will come to expect, which is to say, hey, um, I need a ride home. What does that mean? That means get me an Uber, get me an Uber here, where my current location is. It means um, it knows I'm alone, right? Because I said, get me an Uber. And maybe it knows I'm alone for different reasons as well. It also knows where home is, so it automatically set the destination. But imagine how much easier that is to say, get me uh, home or I need a ride home than to go into your app, open it up, put in the source, put in the destination, like all, all these things. It's just dumb. And it's going to be the same for, hey, I'm hungry. It's going to be the same for, hey, I've got, you know, let's order us all takeout. Um, and maybe it knows that you just checked in with four of your friends and it says, hey, do you mean takeout for all four of you? And you say yes. So it's a voice dialogue, right? It's a voice dialogue that you're having with digital assistant. And the digital assistant is now going and doing the work instead of you opening an app. So what this means is, similar to the whole concept that we talked about earlier with microservices, the digital assistant will become the centerpiece of application use. And that means the application will not be some dumb thick client app running on the mobile device. It will actually be a series of APIs living in the cloud that belong to the company. So when you say, um, I need to ride home, it's not gonna open an app and simulate fingers touching. It's going to call the Uber API and make the, the call that it needs to make, right? Similar to what the app would have done. So the app is very simply being replaced by the digital assistant and the digital assistant will reach out and talk to APIs. So what does this mean? It means that for app developers and it means for companies, companies need to start thinking about how can I turn my company into an API that is used not by humans, but by digital assistants. And what does that model look like? 
your company becomes an algorithm and your storefront becomes the API to that algorithm. That's what I think the future is. And a lot of people, it's not just my idea. Um, all right. If you're going to use Android, make sure it's a Nessus or a Nexus. So basically there are a whole bunch of Android phones out there. And I commonly point out and make fun of how, like how messed up they are. Right. And it's, it's very true, but the Nexus one, which is put out by Google and the one that they keep very up to date, that's decently, decently secure compared to other Android phones. Um, and if you're into security, if you care about security, you don't even have to be into it, but don't have to be in the field or anything. But if you care a lot about having an up-to-date phone, you should probably use a Nexus. Um, the Gruck is a security researcher, uh, Twitter personality, uh, strong personality. Uh, we don't seem to get along, but... I'm working on that, but um, very knowledgeable, very cool, um, funny, good, good analysis, great analysis, especially around terrorism. Um, but anyway, he, he t tweeted out that, uh, I, I forget exactly what the tweet was, but it was, it was something along the lines of, if you care at all about security, <laughs> you should be using a Nexus device. Um, and then there was some other device that was like secure Android and it was like $15,000. And he was like, yeah, go buy a Nexus and then send me like 10 grand or something. Um, I forget what the joke was, but the bottom line is uh, if you're using a phone that runs Android and it's not a Nexus, you are probably way behind on updates and you don't even have the ability to go get the updates because the manufacturer that you're using doesn't allow it. So it's nasty. All right, next section, treasure. So this is quality links to tools, papers, projects around the web. So first thing I want to recommend is the A16Z podcast on microservices. I've already talked about it a couple of times here. It is just fantastic. And the, the podcast in general is fantastic. But this one on microservices was really, really phenomenal. So I have the link there. Next one is um, Artless Real-Time Logs Analyzer. So it's basically, um, this thing is, is a piece of code that runs on a web server and you point it at your, your uh, Apache logs. I actually run Nginx, so not technically Apache, but they're in the Apache format, so it worked. So I ran it right before this, and uh, it was pretty awesome. So what it does is it looks for OWASP vulnerabilities in your requests based on analyzing your logs. And it just has like a live feed of everything coming in. I saw dozens of vulns uh, being attempted or attacks being attempted. Um, coming in. A lot of them were from my machine to my machine just because it's how uh, CMS works, but you can probably clean that up with some filters, but it was pretty cool. Um, it's Artless, uh, Real-Time Logs Analyzer. 
how to create secure random numbers in various languages. I've got a link there. Really exhaustive post. Um, it's actually from a while back, but um, really good post on how to build secure random numbers in like lots of different languages. Pretty cool link. And um, FFF found or found. I, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. But um, something I've been looking at for like five, 10 years it's this art site. It's an image site. Each post is one image, and it's uh, it could be captioned or described or whatever. But um, just flipping through these images, it's just it makes you feel creative. Uh, really, really good art, like really inspiring stuff. Uh, definitely recommend you check it out. Again, have a link after each entry here. Inspiration. Parting thoughts and recommendations to help you throughout the week. So um, I did a redo on this one because I just love this so much from uh, last week. And it is, uh, there's nothing so useless as doing efficiently what should not be done at all. And that's by Pre Peter Drucker. So um, that is it for this week's episode. And uh, I want to remind you to go and sign up for the newsletter. Um, it is a clean version of what we talked about on the podcast. Um, it won't have some of the discussion, uh, like where we went into some depth on the ideas and stuff like that. But it will be a really good capture of the various things uh, that we talked about. And definitely of the links, um, with each one having a link. Um to the story that was discussed. So what's really cool is if you're not able to hear the podcast, you know, some week or whatever, which should hopefully never happen. But if you're not able to, or you just don't want to, or you're not around a speaker or whatever the reason is, um, you still get the weekly email that has the outline of what was talked about. Um, so they're companions, right? You can listen to the podcast and you know, what's in the, um, newsletter and vice versa. All right. That is it for this week. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. And uh, if you do enjoy the show, please uh, recommend it to others. Thanks a lot. Bye.